0: Good morning, family. I must say my mind is a little bit more focused on Japan playing Scotland later today than on uh, sundowns or Masid answer, but uh, amen. <laughs> It's great to be together with you today and to continue on in our journey that we started last week on our theme, Arise Shine. And if you didn't weren't here with us last week, I encourage you to listen to the message from last week as it really sets the platform for where we want to go and what we sense in God speaking to us about, arise and shine. But today we want to take a step forward and go into the book of James. And the reason we want to take the book of James and make it part of this Arise Shine series. Is because I believe it really earths it practically for us how to arise shine, even in times where there's darkness and where it may be difficult to shine. The book of James really speaks into that context. And so, if you have a Bible with you or a, on your on a device, can you won't you go with me? to the book of James and we're going to start with James 1 and I know it's such a familiar portion of scripture for any of us that have been believers for any amount of time you'll probably know James 1 and we've quoted James 1 verse 2 to other people and we've drawn great encouragement from it but uh, if you would allow me I want to just for a moment make sure we all understand how this scripture that we read was earthed and where it touched the ground. It's so vital, important for us that when we read the scripture, it's not abstract, it's not sort of floating here in the air above us, but that we know how that scripture first landed on the earth and where it touched ground, and what it meant and what it spoke to to the people that first heard it, because that helps us in our application to know how, what to take and do with that scripture going forward. So James 1 verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. In that sentence, it tells us where this scripture that we're going to read now lands and what it's about. Now, first of all, the question is, who's James? James, there's many theories about James, but the predominant theory, the most popular theory, is that this is James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, who became the first bishop or overseer, or presbyter of the church from Jerusalem. That he was the leader of the church. If you remember the later in Acts, or we read, or in Acts, we read about the council where they were deciding about the Gentiles, and what the Gentiles have to do to be part of the Christian faith. And finally, it was James that had to make the decision. This is that James, we think. It seems to be that this is that James that is writing this book. So he was the overseer of the church in Jerusalem and everybody that moved from that church in Jerusalem into different parts of the world uh, as Jewish believers, particularly he had oversight over them. One of the theories is that this book was written very early on in the story of the developing of the gospel and how it affects the church. There are different theories, but I tend to favor, as many others do, the theory that this book was written somewhere between 44 and 50 after the birth of Jesus. In other words, between 12 and 17 years, roughly, just to give you a bit of a guideline, after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. So it's very early on in the development of the Christian story of of how Christianity is being expressed in the world. um, it, It may even be, some people suggest, the first bit of Christian literature that we have written in the church. So it's an early manuscript, an early book written to the church. Who is it written to? It's written, James says here, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So he's writing to Jewish Christians. Christians that were first Jews and then became Messianic Jews. In other words, that put their faith in Jesus. He's writing to messianic communities. Can I use that term and call them that? He's writing to young, fledgling messianic communities that are scattered scattered across the Roman Empire. So if you can imagine the, these people that have moved for various reasons and, and live in different cities across the Roman Empire, pagan Cities, not Jewish cities, cities like Corinth, cities like Athens, perhaps, or other places. We find scattered throughout the Roman Empire, Jewish communities. Now, these Jewish communities, because they weren't born in that place, because they were foreigners, they had some difficulties that they were facing as Jewish believers in different cities and pagan cities. They were not mainstream. But now, even in them, a smaller group of people developed that were even more foreign to the cities that they were living in. And these were these messianic communities. So imagine you were a Jewish person that now lived in a pagan city. Perhaps you were a small group of Jews. In a big city, you may be a couple of hundred, a thousand or so of you, or something like that. We don't know the exact figures, but just to give you a picture. Now you're living in a city, a big city, like Athens. And you have your synagogue and you have your community, you have your culture that you keep as a Jewish people. But now you one of those Jewish people and you come to faith in Jesus. Now not only do you get separated from the pagan community you live in, you're actually beginning a process of separating yourself from your own Jewish community. Because more and more as you start expressing your faith in Jesus and practicing your faith in Jesus, you become less like your own people. So you become more and more as tiny, perhaps there's 50 of you now that forms your community. You move from Jerusalem where you're the majority to a foreign city where you're a minority and now you're a minority within a minority. And not only were these Jewish communities, these Messianic communities, these Christian communities, minorities, but they were starting to experience a growing struggle from their own Jewish friends and neighbors. They were being ostracized and they were being rejected for their faith in Jesus. They were now told that they are disowning or unfaithful to their culture and to their people because they're moving away from what their friends and family believes. So division came between brothers and sisters and brothers and brothers and fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and friend groups started dividing. And this eventually led to some form of persecution breaking out over these messianic communities where their own friends, their own family members would start rejecting them. And uh, the physical result of this is that they were becoming poorer and poorer. Because perhaps you were a baker, and uh, you could have sell baked goods to this thousand-strong Jewish community in your city. But now you've disowned them. And the Jewish, your Jewish friends and family says, we can't buy from you anymore because you're not Jewish anymore. We don't trust you. And then even what possibly developed, it seems, is, is that some of the more well-to-do people in that Jewish community started rejecting and persecuting and sort of working against these small minority Christ- messianic communities so the literal result of this the, it seems that these messianic communities were becoming poorer and poorer and poorer and they were facing the daily challenge of their businesses in decline their families not having enough food not finding work opportunities their cupboards were becoming empty They were down to the last tin of baked beans. Life was hard. Their friends were against them. They couldn't, they weren't included anymore. So this is where these words of Paul, of James, sorry, of James lands and touches the ground when he writes them this letter. Let's read from verse two to four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. Consider it pure joy when you are not able to keep your business going. When you are not able to pay your employees. When your children don't have enough food. Consider it pure joy. That's quite a radical thought, isn't it? And that's why James starts with this very important word, consider, consider, think. How are you thinking in this moment? Consider. Consider it joy. Think differently than you would normally think. Because how many of you, if I come to you and you're struggling, perhaps financially, perhaps you lost your job, and I say to you, consider that a wonderful thing that just happened to you. How many of you think I'm crazy? I've lost my marbles. James says to them, consider. The word consider here doesn't mean ignore. It means carefully think about your situation. He's not saying to these Jewish messianic communities, ignore your problems. Be positive about your struggles. Just, just you know, stay positive. Just keep hoping. That's not what he's saying. He's saying to them, consider Think. One of the key things in our lives is how we think about our lives. How we think determines where we go. And right here he says to them, you may be tempted to think a certain way. So often when we face problems, the first thing that we want to think about is how do I find a solution for the problem? James is saying to them, consider a different approach. Consider not just to find a solution for your problem. But I want you to ask, how are you thinking about your problem? What is your thinking process that you are going through at the moment? Consider. When we face challenges, we must not firstly think, how I can get out of this challenge, but how should I think about this challenge? What is busy happening? Consider. Think. This word is an important word in the scripture. It's found in a couple of places in the New Testament, and I just want to use the principle and and use it for you in one or two other settings. This principle is used in Hebrews 12, verse 2, where it says this Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Consider Jesus, the one that went before us, the first one to practice what we are instructing you to do, our role model. Our hero, consider him. Look at what he's doing. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of Jesus, who was able to go through the pain of the cross for the joy set before him. In other words, Jesus had the ability To look at the scorn and the shame and the pain of the cross, but yet go through it. How many of you remember the, the, the occasion where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Where he fell on his knees and he said, Father, this cup is too bitter for me. This is too much. This trial, this testing that I have to go through is way too much for me. In my humanity, I cannot handle this, Lord. This is unfair to ask this of me. Is there not another way? Do you know that Jesus was not ignoring or trying to just be positive about the crucifixion that was just going to come? He was looking at Foursquare in the eye. He was considering it. He felt it. His humanity completely experienced what was going to come. He wasn't just standing there saying, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. He was saying, Lord, I'm not going to be okay. I can't do this. But the scripture says what got him to go through that experience was there was a reward on the other side. There was something beyond the cross that made him able to go through it. Philippians 2 verse 6 who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Jesus considered the blessings of being the son of God and being in heaven but he was prepared to let go of that for the consideration of what will be gained by him leaving what he had. Perhaps even more practical, we see this word used in Hebrews 11 verse 26, where it speaks about Moses, and it says the following of Moses, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt... He was looking for the reward. Moses was the prince of Egypt. He was, he's, I mean, he came from a humble beginning. He was a, he was a Jewish boy who had no hope and no right to such an extravagant and wonderful future. But you know the story. And he was brought into the, into the chambers of the Pharaoh, raised by Pharaoh's daughter. And he became the prince of Egypt. His future secure, the wealth of Egypt, the best of Egypt, all at his, at his beck and call. He had it all. He had it made. But this scripture tells us he sat down one day and he looked at all the blessings he has in Egypt. And then he looked at what he could get in the kingdom of God, and he counted. That's why some translations of James 1 verse two says, "Count it pure joy." Moses counted. He did an actuarial exercise. He piled up on the one side all the wealth and the blessings of Egypt. And then he piled up on the one side all the blessings of even just the reproach of being with Jesus. Not even all the good stuff, just even the, the bad stuff you get with being. And he said, wow, it's, this, there's, no, there's no other choice. I have to go for the kingdom of God. It's so much better than the kingdom of Egypt. And he was prepared to go through the pain of the loss and the struggle to get to the reward. Consider Consider it pure joy. What my, James is saying to them here is this, as I understand it, that there's certain things that you can only get to by going through the trials and the testing. You can't get there any other way. You can't get to the reward by skirting or avoiding or jumping over this trial. The only way to get to the trial is to go through this This. And if you can keep your eye on the reward on the other side and consider the reward, you'll be able to go through the trial. I have with me this morning my driver's license. It really is my driver's license. It's a valid driver's license. It expires on the 17th of June 2020. I got this driver's license, not this exact one, but obviously my driver's license, on the 17th of December 1986. I got my driver's license. How, how did I get my driver's license? I had to go through a very painful process of learning how to drive. And my mom taught me and uh, she helped me and I had friends that sat with me for fear of life and limb, you know, as I was learning to drive. Fortunately, those years, the cars, the roads weren't so crazy as they, as, as they are now. But I had to learn how to drive. And then there came a day where I had to go for a test. And I failed. They expected me to have certain proficiencies and to be able to do certain things. And when I went for my test the first time, which I think it was the 3rd of December or something like that, I failed. I didn't measure up. I didn't make it. So they said to me, you've got to come back again. You cannot get your license unless you go through this test i went back and praise jesus i got it the second time i got my license because i passed the test now i know in south africa today you can get one of these without going through the test (laughs) but can i be quick to remind you that if you have got a license that you didn't pass a test for your license is not legitimate it is an illegitimate license It does not count. It is not valid. If you get taken to a court, a court will find you guilty of fraud, of lying, of cheating, because you didn't go through the process. There are things in God that I have to pass the test for. And there's no way around it. There's no way over it. There's no way beside it. The only way you can get there is you have to go through it. You have to go through. And this is what James is saying to these believers. Consider your trials as an opportunity for joy. Not because the trial is joyful, but because what you will get to on the other side will give you joy. No family can have their own new baby without going through the pregnancy. You have to go through. As believers, God is saying to us, what are you prepared to go through to obtain the glory that I have for you? There are certain things of the glory of God that is not available to us if we're not prepared to go through. I wonder what you are going through at the moment. I'll tell you, whenever I face a trial, my first question is, how can I get around this? How can I find a way to skip this? But by the grace of God, he says, through. You have to go through. Count it pure joy when you face trials. The word trials in the original language can be translated as unexpected encounters. Unexpected encounters. It can be external or internal. Trials can be things that happen because of things that are happening to you or things that are happening inside of you and because of you. These trials can be anything like this. In our context here, remember where this lands, these messianic communities were going through trials that were perhaps a bit more external initially, but it was leading to some internal struggles. And they were going through trials that were unexpected encounters. Imagine being a a Jewish person at that day and you hear the message of the Messiah and there's an excitement that comes in in you. The the kingdom grabs your imagination and you, you commit to Jesus and you believe in Jesus and you think, wow, this is fantastic. This is so awesome. And, and life is good and this, these little communities were forming and they were enjoying worshipping together and reading the word and understanding these new revelations and being part of a new movement that's going to change the earth. And there's a lot of excitement and then suddenly things started taking unexpected turns and unexpected encounters were happening to them. They were starting to get opposition from their friends. Suddenly, people were speaking unkindly of them. Some of them were starting to lose their business because their their own friends and neighbors were talking against them and telling others to not go to these businesses, to not support them. Unexpected encounters were producing trials in them. So often in our lives, we've, we've got momentum, we're going somewhere, something's happening, and then unexpected encounters change everything. You may go to the doctor and an unexpected encounter takes place. You may have a relationship that you've got so much hope for and then an unexpected encounter happens. Or you may have a job and then you have an unexpected encounter with your boss that says you've lost your job. Unexpected encounters, trials of various kinds. It's part of life. It's what happens to us. These trials are seen by James as necessary for the testing of our faith. Testing of our faith is testing both what we believe and what we do because of what we believe. You cannot separate the two. Our testing, when our faith gets tested, it's not just about what I believe, it's also about what I do based on what I believe. Because the life of a disciple is a a life which brings those two things together. I act a certain way because I believe certain things. And actually in the life of a disciple, you cannot separate those two. You cannot separate being and doing from one another. Jesus said you will know a tree by its fruit. And James writing here, he says you will know me by my acts. My faith will be displayed later on. We'll get to that scripture. Not today, on another day. But my faith and my my beliefs and my actions are all part of my faith. Trials and testing comes, and it's a necessary part of life, and our discipleship journey, and our faith in Jesus, and our expression of that faith when we go through these testings, because they reveal who God is in us. But in order to go from through the trial, in order to stand through the trial. We need something that will get us from where we are towards where the reward is, to the prize, to that which is on the other side of the trial. And James describes that as endurance, or some translations, perseverance. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. Without endurance, without perseverance, you'll not go through the trial. You may enter the trial, but you'll not not go through. You'll not pass the test. You'll not make it to the other side. Endurance is described as the capacity to respond to the test with your virtues intact. It is the ability to stand the test without compromising what you believe or how you act because of what you believe. Endurance is not just saying, ah, oh, you know, Lord, just do whatever you're going to do. I'm just gonna, I'll be here when you're finished. It's a little bit more than that. It's not just grinning and bearing it. Endurance is the ability to take something in with you into the trial, your belief system and how you act because of your belief system and then standing when the, everything gets thrown at you and the way to get out of the test is to just stop believing what you believe or to stop doing what you're doing. But not giving up. Keeping on believing what you're believing and keeping on doing what you're doing. These young Jewish believers in these messianic communities, literally, if they wanted to stop the trial, if they wanted to stop the testing, for the persecution to stop, all they had to do was renounce Jesus and they would be taken back into their Jewish communities and business would grow and life would be normal. So they were tested. They were on trial. Their faith was in a trial. And their endurance had to produce that they could go through this trial and come out the other side with their faith and their behavior intact. Actually better off than what they went in. Because it's endurance that allows the believer to not fade away during the trial, but to shine brighter. It's endurance that equips the believer and enables the believer for their faith to not become obscure, but their faith to become more and more radiant and brilliant. Isn't it in the times where everybody else is buckling and shaking that we have opportunity to shine brighter? When everybody says it's the end and you say it's only the beginning, you can shine. It's when everybody gets tested and you rise to the occasion that you can shine. When everybody's falling down and you are standing up, you have an opportunity for the glory of the Lord. And that's what trials do for us. They test what is in us and we start realizing, man, there's more to me than what I thought. Not because it's about me, but because of Jesus who is within me by His Spirit. Jesus was able to do this. He stood through because of the, tri- of the joy set before him. Every disciple that wants to come closer to Jesus has to learn how to endure and persevere. We don't have to go looking for these trials. They come to us. It's part of life. What is the reward on the other side? James tells us in of verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. The reward is to become mature and complete, lacking nothing. Mature is a word that describes a person that has godly character that has withstood the tests. That's maturity. Maturity is a person that knows how to stand without compromising their belief or what they are doing because of that in this context he reaches and later on in the book as we walk through it you'll, you'll hear him talk about this but to just earth it for you a little bit in this context he's saying to these Jewish uh, messianic communities that as they were the persecuting was heating up on them they were tempted to respond in a very worldly way with doing two things that typically people would do in this circumstance. To start slandering the people that persecute you and to think about getting violent towards the people that persecute you. And that would be the common thing that would happen. So James, in his book, does a lot. He talks about your tongue because he says, mature Christians, will know that there are other options available to them. There are other ways to deal with the problem. Maturity will lead you to the place where you will not give in to the temptations to slander those that come against you or to think of being violent against them. So therefore, maturity is about growing through these challenges towards the godly way, the godly character. To understand what God expects. To become more like Jesus. To think of how Jesus dealt with persecution. How did Jesus deal when the the soldiers came against him? What did he do? And can I mature to that place where I call myself to a higher place of morality and activity and belief than what would normally be done in these situations? The other word for the reward is complete. To be intact undefiled, undamaged, like an unchiseled stone. Someone who is sound, misses nothing, but is comprehensive. How many of you remember the days when, for those of us that grew up before the internet, when your parents took out, spent lots of money to buy you a set of encyclopedia? Remember, thousands of rand. they had payment plans to buy you, if you were Afrikaans, Dikenis, or the Encyclopedia Britannica. Any of you still have those Like you're holding on to them because they were so expensive. You'll never use them again, but you just, you know. Can you remember how important it was that your set be complete? If you missed one book, if you lost one book of your set of encyclopedia, you no longer had a set of complete knowledge. You weren't complete. It's like when, when I have to work in this week, I had to do some work around the house and help one of my sons that was doing a project and, and we wanted to drill some holes in a wall and I, I went to my set of, of drill bits and as I opened it up, the, the size I needed, I no longer had. My set was not complete so I couldn't address the problem successfully. Or you know, we've got one of those food processes at home. And uh, when I have to grate cheese and when I make pizza, then I want the specific size that the, that the cheese is just the right size for the pizza. And if somebody took that disc that goes in the fruit processor and put it somewhere where I can't find it and the set is no longer complete, I'm frustrated. We, that's what our faith needs to be complete. Our faith needs to be able to cover everything that comes to us. Natasha always says your faith has to work in the good and the bad times. It's not just fair-weather faith. Uh, And how many of you know that it's as you mature, as you get tested, that your set becomes complete. You develop new skills and new abilities so that you can grow and have a complete set. So that I can go through what I have to go through for the joy on the other side. Again, over this weekend, I was asked by a person in my household to sort out that person's wendy house. A lot of my stories are about wendy houses. This person in my family has their own wendy house. And this person is a person of great creativity. Anything is a possibility. Anything this person picks up anywhere... Any tile that falls off a wall is a possibility for mosaicing something. Anybody that throws some piece of wood out onto their pavement needs to be picked up because this may be possibly just the wood we need to build something. So this person is a collector of possibilities. And uh, this, this person has this wendy house and This person has been very busy for a long period of time now, and uh, so whenever this person collects something, or even if we've got other things in the house that we don't have space for, we just throw it in the Wendy house. So now it's gotten to the place that you have to lean against the door to close the door. The Wendy house is fat. It's wanting to explode out of its belt. And and we know there's lots of things in there that can solve many of our problems, but we can't get to them, because the Wendy house is chaos. So this person, whom I love dearly and appreciate with all my heart, asked me if I wouldn't mind sorting out the Wendy house. And what could I say? because I know there will be a reward on the other side. I know there's a reward coming. So for the joy set before me, I stood in front of that Wendy house. I opened that door with all the bravery I could muster and stood back as the stuff was falling out on me. In fact, the area in front of the Wendy house was already in chaos. And I stood there, And I spoke in tongues. (laughs) I said, super catafragilisticexpialidocious. And I was praying and I was hoping that Mary Poppins will come down and she will do her thing and this Wendy house will just become an amazing oasis of order where I can step into and what I'm looking for is labeled in a box. I can clearly see nobody has to search for anything and all the junk is removed. I said it twice, supercalifragilisticexperialidocious, but nothing happened. I said it a third time, nothing happened. So I had to go get my work clothes and get into that windy house for fear of my life and had to unpack that whole windy house. Now we've got a pile of stuff on our lawn that Monday somebody will come and fetch to take away to the rubbish dump. The possibilities have not, you know, come to pass, so now they have to be rejected. I've started sorting out all the little tiles in color boxes. It'll still take me a couple of days, but there's a reward set before me. (laughs) How many times do you know that the Lord is wanting to do something in your life? And as good charismatic Christians, we stand and we speak in tongues. And we say, Lord, have your way. And we trust the Holy Spirit's gonna come and do the sorting out. But then he says, no, no, you have to go through this for the joy set before you. You have to go through this. Yes, worship team, you can please join me. What are you going through at the moment? Now you can count what you're going through or you can count the reward on the other side. I suggest you count what you're going through Because, again, it's not about ignoring the challenges. It's not about not being in the moment. Part of it is embracing the difficulties of it. But that we fix our eyes on what is God doing with us as a community. As James was asking of those Messianic communities, he said to them, count it pure joy. But then in verse 5, he says to them, if you are doing this, if you are wanting to go through but you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Wisdom is the congruence between knowing, understanding, and doing. Wisdom is the ability to do what you believe in the right way so that it brings glory to God. It's the old analogy, I've used this before. If somebody can think of a different illustration to give me something fresh to work with, I'd really appreciate it. But knowledge is knowing what a tomato looks like. Remember this illustration? Understanding is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. I can't remember why, but it's a fruit. But wisdom is knowing that a tomato does not belong in a fruit salad. You know what to do with what you know and understand. And that's what God is saying to us. If you need to go through something, you need wisdom. This wisdom literally meant for that messianic community. As you are going through, your cupboards being empty, your children struggling, your community rejecting you, ask God for the wisdom how to go through this without compromising what you believe and who you are and what you do. And you know in what form that wisdom comes that wisdom comes in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who said i will never leave you nor forsake you so i come back to what i spoke about last week the covenant that god has with us that jesus has gone through every testing the scripture says he was tempted like us in every way he passed every single test you don't have to go through the test alone he is your crib sheet he is your cheat sheet If you have him with you, he will give you the answers of how to go through the test. What you need to hold on to and stay true to. A guy by the name of, with the surname Rope said, Wisdom is the supreme and divine quality of the soul whereby man knows and practices righteousness. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives generously. What did God give generously? He gave His Son generously. If you need wisdom, say, Lord Jesus, give me wisdom. And He will come by His Spirit and He will give us the wisdom we need. But when He gives us the wisdom, we must not doubt. Because if we doubt the wisdom He gives us, we become unstable. And unstable believers fall down. And this is part of the challenge because God's wisdom is different than the wisdom you'll pick up elsewhere. And to have God's wisdom, it doesn't work by mixing it with any other wisdom. You have to hedge your bets and go for God's wisdom and God's wisdom alone. Our time is up, so I want to ask you, what are you going through? And why are you going through? Is it possible? I want you to consider That there may be something good that God is busy doing with what you're going through. I'm not saying, and we'll talk about this next week, that God put you in that place. Or God originated that for you. That's not the point. This is a broken world. We're going to go through testing all the time. But I want you to consider that there's something that you cannot get to unless you go through this. With endurance that produces maturity. Completeness in the wisdom of God. Won't you stand with me? Let's close our eyes just for a second. Father, I thank you that we know this for a fact, that you love every single person here in this auditorium today. Every person joining us on YouTube, every person listening to this message on a radio or via website, you love every single person. That you know us intimately. That you are for us. That you have great plans and purposes for us. And this we do not doubt, Lord. So whenever we stand in the midst of the darkness, there's a possibility that we can shine. That we can reflect your glory. That this can actually lead to better things. That this can take us forward. That this can be exactly what we need to go through so that we can grow and that your kingdom can be advanced. We want to love you, Lord, not despite the challenges, but sometimes through the challenges. We want to be people of faith that can see through. That can see the possibilities that are within us because of you, Lord Jesus. I ask that right now you will show us what we're going through that you would like us to consider and think about differently. Come, Holy Spirit. If you're going through something right now and you're saying, Lord, just help me, help me consider your perspective your viewpoint what you are doing in this why don't you just raise your hands with me and just let i just want to pray father you see every person you know every situation you know the in, you're intimately aware of what they're busy going through but more than that you are aware of the reward of what you are busy doing not only with individuals but with this community Thank you, Lord, that we are where we are today because we went through certain things. We couldn't have gotten here if we didn't go through some things, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, faith will arise in this community, in every individual, that we will not be unstable, that we will not be tossed around by the waves and by the wind, that we will not doubt and move back and forth and run around trying to find a secure place, but that we will know that we have a secure foundation to stand on, and that we will plant both of our feet on the wisdom, which is Jesus Christ, and that we will ask from you and receive from you and act according to your wisdom. So right now, you may be in a difficult position where it may be health-related, it may be job, it may be for relationships, whatever it may be, You are standing, if you're a son of God and a daughter of God, you are standing on a sure foundation of His covenant with you. Ask wisdom. So we ask, Lord, I ask on behalf of every person that hears this message, give us wisdom, Lord. And then give us the strength and the endurance to live that wisdom, to do that wisdom, to be that wisdom. In Jesus' mighty name. I'm going to end the service, but we're going to sing a song. So I invite you to stay with us, but if you need to go, I want to release you. Remember, we pray for people this morning. I would love it if you could come forward and say, pray for me. I'm going through something. Let somebody stand with you. It's a community thing. It's not an individual thing only. But let us pray with you. It's highly possible that there's people here today that you've not made the decision to to follow Jesus as you come forward. Will you just come to my right hand side, particularly if you want to commit your life to Jesus today? Who's our pastor that's going to that? I can just come on this side, and our pastoral team will be here and they will pray with you, particularly. So, I'm going to ask if you want to commit your life to Jesus, come, sir, come stand with me. If you want to commit your life to Jesus, then come and let our pastors pray with you this morning and help you in that. If you just need prayer for something else, come. And let the Holy Spirit come and just work in your life. The Lord bless you. The Lord go with you. He is your wisdom that is with you every single day, everywhere you go in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thank you, team. We can pray.